Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of a mind through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. You'll see that the emphasis here is on the character of the person. It is servanthood that comes first in the Bible, not leadership, and not even so-called servant leadership. Leadership is not the most important thing. Welcome to the Sunday morning service here at First Evangelical Church Glendale in Glendale, California. Let's listen as Rev. Dr. Sun Young Tan teaches from the Word of God. I have one or two more uh, things I want to say before we get into the Word of God this morning. Um, first of all, last week I made a mistake in saying that I'm going to be preaching the next three Sundays. The pastors reminded me that I'm only going to be preaching the next two Sundays. So it's today and next uh, Sunday, uh, the 17th, which is our annual membership meeting in the afternoon as well. So um, the other pastors will also be preaching in the coming weeks. Uh, secondly, I just really want to emphasize that special conference with Dr. Gary Thomas. You all know I've preached from here, uh, the pulpit, as well as uh, when I conduct weddings and so on. Dr. Gary Thomas is a world-renowned author and speaker. He's excellent. And he's written two classic books that I highly recommend and recommend all the time to couples and families, especially those that I'm doing the wedding for, newlyweds. Uh, Sacred Marriage and Sacred Parenting. And he's written many other books, including Cherish and so on. So he'll be coming to speak at this special seminar that FECA has put together. I highly recommend them to do this, and they're doing this on the 13th of November, which is a Saturday from 10 to 4. I think it'll be at FEC St. Gabriel Church. If you want to attend in person, you have to sign up. Otherwise, you can also uh, uh, go online and, and access the seminar on Zoom. Now, because of my special connections with Dr. Gary Thomas, he graciously agreed to come to our church on November the 14th, Sunday, here. You don't have to go anywhere else. Just come for your service, and the speaker will not be Pastor Tan. It'll be Dr. Gary Thomas, okay? He's preaching in our English service as well as in our Mandarin service on Sunday, November 14th. So would you please uh, save those dates and uh, really uh, be blessed by these kinds of arrangements we're able to make with speakers like Dr. Gary Thomas, and we are just very thankful to God for that. And, um, and then finally, as I said earlier, uh, the annual membership meeting. Please remember next week, we need quorum. So on Zoom, let's continue to have a really good uh, annual meeting uh, like we did last year. We had more people on Zoom, actually, than in person. So we met quorum easily. And uh, this will be my last annual membership meeting before I step down as senior pastor. So I want to say a few special words to you all on that day. And one last announcement. Uh, there are some people in our congregation who are sick, who have been in the hospital, who need your press for healing. Some are confidential, some are public. This one is public because I just talked to Dr. D. Wee Lim. He's a medical doctor himself from the Mandarin congregation. His wife, Mrs. Betty Lim, uh, fell uh, a couple of weeks ago, a week and a half ago, and became unconscious, was actually in a coma for several days. She's still in the hospital. She's now awakened. She can follow instructions, so things are better. But there was bleeding in the brain, and uh, she's still recovering and really needs your prayers. So Dr. Lim wanted me to mention this publicly so that you all can lift them up in prayer. Okay? So let's continue to ask the Lord to be merciful, to bring healing uh, to these who need His touch, as well as to the world and our country all the divisiveness and all the politicization of so many issues, and then, of course, the pandemic. But let's pray before we look into the Word of God. Dear God, thank you so much for your presence with us this morning here and online. We're so grateful that you've helped us to reopen our church more and more. As the weeks go by, we pray and trust in you that you will continue to mercifully 
bring healing to this pandemic here and all over the world. And we ask that, Lord, the numbers will continue to go down. And yet not to get so caught up with the numbers, just to be thankful that uh, hospitalizations and deaths have gone down. And Lord, we just pray that we'll learn how to live with this pandemic and not fear it. And that your spirit will give us wisdom and grace to uh, be careful, to take the precautions needed and uh, help us, Lord. And thank you that um, you've given us the vaccines and we just pray that you'll continue to use them in safe and effective and efficient ways. So we come to you, Lord, this morning, thankful that you love us, that you care for us more than we realize, and only in knowing you as this really deeply loving and good God can we also become godly and good like you. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit and through your grace, not by self-effort, only by surrendering to you and coming to the end of ourselves. And today, as we go into the Word of God again, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 9, on elders or church leaders as godly leaders, this message is not just to elders or godly leaders in the church, but to all of us as your people, because it is your will that every Christian grow up to become a godly man and woman of God. So we ask that you will speak to us, dear God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God. We bow before you. We thank you for your presence with us, for your love for us, for the fact that you not only love us, but you like us. You, you want to hang out with us. You want to spend time with us. You take great delight in us. May we really realize that you're not a crabby God, as my friend said uh, recently at a webinar, but you're a loving and gentle and caring God. And may we have the right concept of you, because what we think when we think about God is probably the most important thing about us, as A.W. Tozer put it. So help us to have our lenses cleansed by your spirit and by your word today, that we may catch a clearer vision of you. And as we do that, may we grow to become more godly and good people and leaders and servants of yours in this church and beyond. So Lord, we thank you for your presence. We ask for your protection against evil. We pray now in the name of Jesus, that Holy Spirit of God, you'll anoint the preaching and teaching of your Holy Word. Feed your people, nurture us, encourage us, challenge us, and edify us, that we may grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to become more like him in who we are and what we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, today, another kind of... Uh, Site announcement, but really important. Today is the 10th of October, 2021. Is that right? Yeah, just want to make sure. Do you know what today is? Today is the 56th anniversary of our church, FEC Glendale. Let's give the Lord a hand. Huh? Praise the Lord for His great faithfulness. I wish we would have gone back to cooking and lunch and so on. We'll have a cake and all that, but we decided, oh, never mind. We'll wait till the 60th anniversary, probably, you know. <laughs> 56 years, FEC Glendale has existed by the grace of God and by the faithfulness of all of you. We've attended, we've supported us financially, we've prayed, we've served, you know, we've come to worship. Thank you so much, folks. May there be another 56 years, by which time I will not be here. See you in heaven, okay? I'm 66 now, so coming to 67, my birthday is coming in October 25th, you know. So, yeah, whenever you, you celebrate the church's uh, anniversary, it's around the time of my own birthday, so I'm very thankful to God for His goodness to all of us. I thought it would be good for us to mention that. And last time I preached, which was a few weeks ago, from Titus chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, we talked about uh, saved to serve. We are saved by God's grace, by the power of the Spirit in converting us to Jesus Christ, 
in knowing the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that we may serve the Lord and one another. We are saved to be a blessing to others, as as someone put it. We are blessed to bless. We're not just saved and then waiting to go to heaven, like a kind of uh, insurance, fire insurance. (laughs) No, we are saved to live life to the full, the really good life in Jesus Christ now. Eternal life starts now through Jesus Christ as we give our lives to him and ask him to be our Lord and Savior. And then forever it goes on in heaven to come. It's wonderful news. This is good news that God wants us to preach and teach and share and to refute those who oppose this message. And a lot of the false narratives and the junk that we hear on TV and the news and so on, especially in our country, but all over the world, the politicization of all kinds of stuff and the fake news and so on. We just have to be so careful, folks, especially during this time and during this uh, season of our society and our world today. Uh, There is a lot of stuff out there that is anti-biblical, not just unbiblical, but anti-biblical, anti-what God says. And many people in the world today think that, you know, we need to uh, be, in quotes, so-called even more postmodern than ever before, relativistic. Nothing is new under the sun, folks. All this comes under humanism and relativism and secularism, you know, secularism and, and then the so-called postmodernism, which is not all bad. The postmodern view says there's no such thing as absolute truth. Truth is subjective. Depends on your own perception, your own interpretation of truth. See? And what the postmodern view, which is so prevalent today, even more so, in this country especially, in Asia perhaps less so, right, is that we uh, do not believe in absolute truth anymore. So we live our lives our own way. We go our own way. What else is new? Huh? The Bible says we all like sheep have gone astray. We each have gone our own way. And the good thing about postmodernism is that it helps us be humble. It tells us that we do not know the truth as uh, absolutely as we think. We need to learn from God and from one another. We need to be humble enough to learn, yes. We're not sure of everything, yes. But as N.T. Wright says in his commentary on the pastoral letters here, that I believe Paul wrote, and some people think that somebody else wrote, and his assistant or something. But these pastoral letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, I've preached through them already. Now Titus, the third pastoral letter from Paul. N.T. Wright says, I write in his commentary on these pastorals that it is not true. It's never been true. It's never been part of the Christian tradition, all these 2,000 years of church history, that there's no such thing as true. Christians have always believed in the authority of the Word of God, whether you believe in inerrancy or infallibility, but this is the inspired Word of God. It is authoritative. It is absolute truth. It is true truth. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away, Jesus said. And there are things that we do know counter, contra, the postmodern view extremely interpreted. We need to be humble. There are some things we don't know. But as N.T. Wright says, there are things we do know. And the things we do know in Scripture that are clear, they're not in the gray areas. We must continue to affirm as a church, as a people of God. And that's why the preaching from this pulpit is one of the most important things that this church will continue to safeguard. I will not be your senior pastor after December 31st. From January 1st onwards, uh, Reverend uh, Mike Shu will be taking over as senior pastor. And I'm glad because he's also a, a solid preacher, solidly based on scripture. You know, we are called First Evangelical Church Glendale. And we have started the FECA Association, the Loose Association of Churches, FECA Churches. You know, there are several other churches that we've planted. Glendale has been the mother church all these 56 years. And now the other churches have also planted other churches many of them. 
First evangelical church. What does that mean? In fact, one time I said, no, maybe we shouldn't be so proud, huh? Let's not call ourselves first evangelical church. You know? So what's the alternative? Last evangelical church. <laughs> that's also not good, and that's also pretty proud. But the last one, <laughs> that means there's no more after us. <laughs> first evangelical. The emphasis is not so much first or last or in the middle, you know. The emphasis is on evangelical. And by the way, many of us use the wrong English word when we say, oh, we are being evangelical when we reach out to people with the gospel, when we do outreach and alpha and so on. That's not being evangelical. That's being evangelistic. Being evangelistic, sharing the good news, the evangel, the gospel. That's being evangelistic. And being evangelistic, outreach, witnessing, you know, missions. That's part and parcel of being evangelical. But being evangelical is more than just being evangelistic. Being evangelical is being people of the word. The word evangelical means word-centered, Bible-centered, you see. And my prayer and trust in the Lord in the years to come, long after I'm gone, and now that Pastor Lo has gone home to be with the Lord too, he will say the same thing when he was alive, the same emphasis on being evangelical, solidly Bible-centered and Bible-based and Christ-centered and Spirit-filled as a church. So remember this, my friends, the Word. And Paul in these letters, especially in 2 Timothy, as you know, Preach the word, he told Timothy. Teach the word. Continue to stand up for the word. Do not be afraid. Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold, as J.B. Phillips puts in his paraphrase of Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of a mind through the word of God and the spirit of God. And this is important, folks. And here we read uh, again that this is what is needed. And Paul's last words to Timothy and his last words to us and not my last words to you because I'll still be around. By the way, Reverend Mike Shu, who's going to be taking over from me, has been very gracious. This last week, he sent me an email. He came up with a skeleton uh, schedule for preaching for next year. And there were uh, you know, quite a number of slots. And he gave me first dibs on it. He says, Yang Yang, whatever dates you want to choose to preach, uh, just go ahead first. And we'll work the rest around your schedule. I am very thankful, Mike. Okay. I emailed him back and called him and said, so what, you're giving me about 20, 25? You want me to preach 20 or 25 times? Uh, and, uh, no, no, no. Just choose the 10 best slots <laughs> and the rest will fall through, fall, follow through. You know. I'll be traveling a lot more next year after the pandemic dies down, hopefully, or at least gets more controlled to Singapore, to Asia, to other parts of the world in an international ministry God has called me to. So I will not be here all the time. I cannot preach every month, but probably about 10 times a year I will preach when I'm in town, uh, you know, just to help Mike out. Because no matter how good a preacher Mike might be or whoever might be, you cannot preach every Sunday. It's just not possible. It's just too heavy. And the other pastors will also preach from time to time. So the words are from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, the words from me to you as your senior pastor for over 26 years. Be always first evangelical church. Bible-centered, and then evangelistic, centered in outreach and evangelism and missions and social concern. This is the will of God for all of us. And in order to do that, our church must have good leadership. And good leadership is always contingent and dependent on good servanthood. A couple of days ago, I spoke at a conference, again, uh, virtual, on Zoom. The Baptist Theological Seminary in Singapore, BTS, uh, had their series of lectures again, and they invited Dr. Jen Johnson, who is the chair of the Dallas Willard Ministries Board, and myself to be the speakers. And Jen talked about 
um, being in Christ and how much God loves us, how much God really likes us, likes to hang out with us. And Jen really emphasized that in this pandemic, we must learn to spend time with the Lord, you know, slow down and really know that God, Jesus, is not crabby, that we are crabby sometimes, you know, that God is a very loving and gentle and gracious and compassionate God. See, A.W. Tozer once said, whatever you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because if your God concept or God conceptualization, your idea, your view of God is distorted, is twisted, is screwed up, then it will mess up the rest of your life. And many of us here, especially from Asian backgrounds, but other backgrounds as well, have a distorted view of God before conversion. Then we came to know Jesus, hallelujah, and He changed our lives. But we still need to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus by the power of the Spirit and through His Word and through the community of one another and fellowship and ministry to one another. We still need to keep on growing because our concepts need continued refining, you see. Our lenses must continue to be cleansed so we see God more accurately. And the church needs leaders, godly leaders, whether you call them elders, deacons, trustees, small group leaders, worship leaders, doesn't matter, okay? The word translated here from the Greek as elders can also mean just simply church leaders or pastors or lay pastors, leaders. And we must be godly in order to continue to be centered in the word and in order to be evangelical. And so, Jen Johnson emphasized that and I emphasize Serving out of being, servanthood, not leadership, not servant leadership, although leadership is important, and we're talking about leaders today, but if you look at this text with me in the next few moments, you'll see that the emphasis here is on the character of the person. It is servanthood that comes first in the Bible, not leadership, and not even so-called servant leadership. Leadership is not the most important thing. Way oversold in the Christian world, way oversold in the world. The CEO, MBA model, Harvard Business School. Even Harvard Business School has become humble through SARS before, through the crash of the stock market, and now through the pandemic. All the companies that were so cocky and arrogant, the CEOs thinking that they can make billions of dollars, they had their five-year plans, their ten-year plans, and then the pandemic struck, and everybody closed down. Who is ultimately in control? I know Satan is in the world with spiritual warfare, but ultimately God is sovereign. Nothing happens by accident. God must give permission for something to happen. He may not cause it. There was a question at the seminar, you know, what about this pandemic, you know? It's a warning sign from God. What's God from your teachers? And Jen said, not necessarily. Just for us to have love and compassion for those who are suffering and minister to them. My answer was a more theological answer, that God is sovereign. That even if God did not cause this pandemic, it's through the foolishness of human beings and our carelessness and, and whatever happened so that this virus came out. God still has to allow it. Nothing happens without going through the hands of God first, you see. We have to understand that. And God can use this time to slow us down and to help us to know how much He loves us, how much He cares for us and to bring us back again to character building, to becoming more like Jesus as the essence of the Christian life, and all the doing, 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 the drivenness. That's why Dallas Willard said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Slow down. 
Take time to smell the flowers, to see God's presence and His love for you. And out of that comes servanthood, serving one another and serving the Lord. And so elders or church leaders are first and foremost to be people of character, to be like Jesus first, and to be godly, and to be servants first. Not aspiring to be leaders per se, but to be servants, and then lead from there. What someone called leading servants, not so much servant leaders. Emphasis should not be on leadership, it should be on servanthood. And yet we are God's friends. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, I call you friends in John chapter 15. John 13, he gave the example of the ministry of the towel, washing the disciples' feet, and told them to follow him to be a servant. And then in John 15, he says, but now I call you friends. That doesn't mean you're no longer a servant. But you're no longer a servant in your identity. Who you really are is a friend of God. Intimate, loving relationship. And out of that, we serve our best friend, Jesus Christ. I wrote a whole book on this called Full Service. It's on servanthood. So keep all of these things in mind as the backdrop of what I'm going to say in Titus 1, verses 5 to 9. On elders or church leaders as godly leaders. All right, let's read through the text in the NIV, the New International Version. And then, as I usually do, I also read from the message, Americanized paraphrase version. So here again, in the words of the Apostle Paul, Titus was written uh, before 2 Timothy, probably. Okay, so it's not the last letter. We've already gone through 2 Timothy. But here, Titus, one of the pastoral letters from Paul. The reason I left you in Crete, Titus, was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders or leaders or bishops, whatever you want to call them, in every town as I directed you. An elder or church leader must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer or an elder manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by teaching sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Now the message version from Eugene Peterson. I left you in charge in Crete so you could complete what I left half done. Appoint leaders in every town or in every church, usually a house church, according to my instructions. As you select them, ask, is this man well thought of? Is he committed to his wife? Are his children believers? Do they respect him and stay out of trouble? It's important that a church leader responsible for the matters or affairs in God's house be looked up to, not pushy, not short-tempered, not a drunk, not a bully, not money-hungry. He must welcome people or be hospitable, be helpful, wise, fair, reverent, have a good grip on himself and have a good grip on the message of the word, knowing how to use the truth to either spur people on in knowledge or stop them in their tracks if they oppose it. So there you are in Americanized English, maybe a little clearer. Now let's go back to the NIV as I go verse by verse as I usually do to expand on this passage a bit more. So the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished 
and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Paul was busy. He traveled a lot on his missionary trips. He didn't have time to finish up what he wanted to do in Crete. Appoint elders or church leaders in every house church or every town so that the work of God can continue. Because there were many false teachers coming to the church. And Paul had to safeguard the gospel and the word of God. So he told uh, Titus to appoint elders. Now the question is this. Who do we select, you see? Every year, annual membership meeting coming up next week, you guys who are members of the church have a chance to vote. Every year, we have nominees for elders, for trustees, for deacons. Our church has three boards. And some of you have been asked to serve in other leadership positions, like small group leaders, fellowship leaders, worship leaders, and and so on and so forth. Sunday school teachers, all in positions of servanthood, but also of leadership. So what are the criteria? What are the characteristics? What does God look for? How does God look at the CV of someone? Actually, God doesn't even look at the CV or the resume. It's not so important how smart you are, how skilled you are, how strategic you are, how savvy you are, you know, how smooth you are. These are the things that the world looks for. Smart, you know, the degrees, you know, Ivy League schools, the best cemeteries, I mean, sorry, seminaries in the world. Huh? And skilled. Always talking about what's the skill set? What's the giftings of this person? As if that's the most important thing in ministry. It isn't. And the person has to be strategic, you know, has to have vision, has to have five-year plans, ten-year plans, like the CEO MBA models of Harvard Business School. Harvard Business School has been humble. You don't talk about five, ten-year plans anymore. You talk about two, three-year plans because nobody is sure the long term. Good. Finally, we realize who's in charge of life and the future. It's God. Not the MBA, the CEO, or the senior pastor of the church. Or even the leaders or the elders of the church, we all must be humble servants, dependent on God, filled with the Spirit, spending much time in prayer and in His Word, listening to the Lord, to what He wants for the church. So we lead the church according to what Jesus tells us. Eugene Peterson, when he was alive, he wrote an article on this whole thing. He says, leaders in the church, pastors in the church, elders in the church must be first and foremost followers. Leadership is not the point. Followership is the point. Followership. Following Jesus, and our church emphasizes that in discipleship. So in verse 6, Paul goes on to say, verse 6, now he explains the criteria and the characteristics. An elder or church leader or pastor must be blameless. Now I'm going to go verse by verse and word by word carefully here because there's some Greek words here that we need to be clear about. This word blameless here, John Stott points out in his commentary, that this word blameless here does not mean faultless, does not mean flawless. In other words, does not mean perfect. The Bible doesn't say an elder must be blameless or an elder must be perfect or blamelessly perfect. No, no. This Greek word here is different from another Greek word. It's translated as unblemished. And the word unblemished from the Greek, okay, means completely perfect. Final day, when we see Jesus face to face, when Jesus has glorified us, then we're unblemished. The unblemished bride of Christ one day when we see Christ face to face in heaven. Okay? That is eschatological. That's in the future. It's not yet. None of us is perfect. As John Stott says, if you misunderstand this verse, and that's the problem, we come to the English, we read it in English, we don't understand the Greek, and then what happens? We misinterpret it. That's why you need to study the word carefully. 
You need to read the commentaries written by uh, Bible scholars who have had years of training in the original languages and the context to help you uh, explain the truth and the meaning of the text. Okay, that's really important. Blameless does not mean perfect. John Stott says if it means perfect here in the Greek, it doesn't mean perfect. It simply means someone who is unimpeachable, someone who cannot be accused of wrongdoing publicly. You see, so someone who has a good public reputation, not perfect. And someone doesn't have a criminal record. Huh? That's why we do the fingerprinting huh? and we do the, the scanning and so on for our youth workers and our children's workers and so on. An elder must be blameless in terms of having a good reputation, not in terms of being perfect. And John Stott says, if you take this to mean perfect, then every one of us will be disqualified. Every one of us. Because none of us is perfect. Okay? So those of you who are elders, deacons, trustees, as I go through this text... You can take a deep breath and relax a little bit. Oh no, Pastor Ten says we have to be blameless, perfect. I'm far from perfect. I just had a fight with my wife this morning. Oh boy. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Just don't fight with her too often. Huh? <laughs> An elder must be of good reputation. And then Paul goes on to say, faithful to his wife. That means one wife. Not polygamous, not many wives. Okay? If you're married... You're not married, of course, you have no wife. It's all right. But faithful to his wife if you're married. A man whose children believe. Now, this is a stumbling block, isn't it? Some of you have children who don't believe or have dropped out of the faith, have stopped going to church. Then what does that mean? You cannot be an elder, you cannot be a deacon, you cannot be a trustee, you cannot be a Bible study leader, cannot be a small group leader, cannot be a worship leader, cannot be a Sunday school teacher. No, that's not what it means. A man whose children believe. Most Bible scholars think that this means in childhood whose young children believe, or at least are controlled, okay? Not perfect, again. Because the faith of someone you cannot control is in the hands of God. When your children grow up and they become adults, some of them decide to, to, to stay away from the church or to stray away from the faith, hopefully for a while. If they're true believers, I believe God is faithful, He will restore them eventually. So don't worry about that, okay? This is not about having perfect children but children who believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. That's the emphasis. Children have some self-control, not children who are wild and disobedient. Because if your children, your young children are wild and disobedient, you cannot manage your household at home, in the family, how can you manage the household of God in the church? But there are also many children here, you know. I'm not talking about literally, I mean children of God who sometimes can also be wild and disobedient. <laughs> Not perfect children, my friends. But children who at least have some decency. It's important. See, So Paul starts with marriage and family. Paul starts with the nitty-gritty of life. In marriage, you're faithful. You cherish your wife. You know, you are loving and kind gentle with your wife and in your children you love them you spend time with them so that they are at least decently behaved most of the time they're not perfect their children are children but not being wild and disobedient grossly rebellious no next and then Paul goes on to the characteristics of the person the character of the person. You see, the character of the person is much more important than the credentials of the person or the chemistry of the person. 
When the world chooses a CEO or a leader, what does the world want? Credentials first. MBA from Harvard, PhD if possible, all the degrees and so on, your resume. Many years of experience, blah, 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 blah. Success, you know, all your past records, blah, 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 blah. Credentials. And then chemistry. They want a charismatic, in quotes, not Pentecostal, but charismatic, with charisma, uh, leaders, you know, who are powerful, you know, who have charm, who have savvy, who are smooth, who can sway you, who can talk, you see, and who can lead you in ways that are effective. But how about character? You know that many CEOs, they might be powerful leaders, they might be successful, making billions of dollars, but they've been divorced three times. And they fool around, and they smoke, and they do all kinds of other crazy things. The world doesn't care about that as long as you succeed. God cares about that completely. The character of the person is crucial. So an overseer, another Greek word here, you know, same, different words here, but same meaning really. A leader, church leader, a pastor, a church leader. Since an overseer or church leader manages God's household, you're leading the church, you're taking care of the church, a bigger family of God, he must be blameless. Again, blameless of good reputation, not perfect. But blameless in what ways? Here are five negatives followed by six positives. Okay, here are the five negatives that John Stott points out. Not overbearing. A better translation from the Greek here should be not arrogant. Not overbearing. Not arrogantly overbearing. You know, that's the problem of pride. Not quick-tempered or prone to anger with a lot of anger outbursts all the time, angry all the time, shouting and cursing and swearing, sometimes throwing things around. Not quick-tempered. That has to do uh, with uh, temper, okay? And thirdly, not given to drunkenness. Not that you cannot drink. I know some of you and some of us may have a little wine sometimes with a spaghetti and so on. That's fine. But we're talking about drinking to excess, to the point where you are tipsy and you're drunk. Not given to drunkenness, drink. Pride, anger or temper, drink. And not violent. Not violent. The word violent here actually is connected more with the abuse of power. The problem of abuse of power. Violent, overbearing, strong, too strong. And then not pursuing dishonest gain. It has to do with money. Huh? Greedy for money. Always thinking about money all the time. These are the five negatives that leaders in the church must avoid by the power of the Spirit and by the grace of God. We don't try to do all these things by ourselves, by the way, my friends. We cannot do it on our own. We have our sinful nature. We have Satan attacking us with his temptations. We have the world influencing us in so many ways, you know, directly or indirectly subtly or impactfully. We need the Lord. We need His grace. We need the power of the Spirit. We need one another. We need prayer to protect ourselves so that we can avoid these five negative things. These are the temptations there, my friends. Pride, temper or anger, drink, abuse of power, and money. We have to be very careful in these areas. And then Paul goes on. Rather, here are the six positives. Instead, a church leader and elder should be hospitable. Hospitable. The Greek word means welcoming of members of the church as well as strangers into your home. 
entertaining them, opening them up. You know, a um, couple of days ago at this particular Zoom virtual uh, lecture series, uh, somebody asked me before the seminar started, you know, said, oh, Xiang Yang, uh, Dr. Tan, you, you, you downsized your house, huh? And had to be honest with them. I downsized in 2010. In 2012, I upsized again. This person in Singapore didn't know that. So I didn't want to hide it from him. I told him, I said, yeah, we upsized. We moved to a bigger house. God guided us, provided for us, bigger kitchen and so on, so that Angela, my wife, can help uh, uh, me do the entertaining, the welcoming and hospitality. And many of you know, many of you have been to my home. We have a big home, but we use it for the Lord. And also my wife is a CPA, so she's wise enough to know that this is good investment. <laughs> the house has gone up almost 100%, not quite yet, <laughs> in 10 years. So the Lord knows what he's doing. Downsize, upsize, depending on what the Lord has for you. Hospitable. You don't have to have a big house to be hospitable. But we, we invite a lot of people over. We have had retreats in my house for discipleship groups and so on. So you need to have a fairly good-sized home. But you don't have to. A small apartment, you can still have people over. One or two people just to have a meal together. He must be hospitable. Number one. Number two, not in order of priority. One who loves what is good. Someone has a big charitable heart who supports good causes. One who loves what is good, not what is evil, not what is fake, not what is selfish, but what is good. See? Godly and good people are to be elders and leaders. And then who is self-controlled. Okay? The word self-control here actually means sensible. So the word self-control is not the best translation from the Greek. Sensible, wise. Upright. Upright here means devout and devoted to God. Upright. I'm sorry, that is holy. I, I skipped the word there. Upright. Upright means be, being fair. Upright in your relationships with people. Upright in terms of being fair and just and honest with people. Not trying to cheat them or manipulate them and so on. So upright. Okay. And then holy, sorry. Holy is the word here from the Greek that means devout, devoted to God. In other words, someone who really loves God. Someone who loves God more than anything else and more than anybody else, even his wife. He loves God first, loves God most, holy in that sense, loving God. And then discipline. The word discipline here means self-control with a certain a significant degree of self-mastery. It's the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 23 but the fruit of the Spirit hmm, is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control. It's not a person who is um, loose in the passions, you know, gets angry easily, you know, it's very impulsive, but the feelings are relatively under control. Not perfect, but there is peace and there is grace there given. These are the six things. Hospitable, loving what is good, Sensible and wise, upright and just, holy and devoted to God, and disciplined with self-control. These are the things you look for in a leader. It will not show on a CV, my friends. We need to interview. We need to pray. We need to ask for discernment and for the Holy Spirit to guide us to choose the right people. And I trust that every one of you will want to grow in these areas. Not by self-effort, remember, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can transform you and me to be like this, 
basically to be like Jesus, you see, Christ-like character. That's the most important criterion and the most important characteristic of a leader in God's family, God's church, of an elder, so to speak, of a pastor, of a church leader. And then finally, verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine, by teaching sound doctrine and refuting those who oppose it. So the final characteristic here, not about character as well as ministry, church leaders must be men and women of the word. They must know the word well. They must have read and meditated and memorized and heard and studied the word over many years, walking deep with God in prayer and in the word. And then be able to teach the word clearly and powerfully to encourage people so that their faith is edified, is strengthened, it grows, and so that they can refute and fight back those who oppose it. Fight back in quotes now. Not out of anger, but out of love. See, And this is the point that N.T. Wright is saying. The church needs teachers and preachers and pastors and church leaders who will not be afraid to uphold the truth of God's word. That's eternal. We must speak up against the junk in our society today, against the values that have corroded so badly, they've been corrupted by politics and other kinds of stuff. We must go back to the word of God, my friends, and not be afraid to stand up for what Jesus taught us and what the word of God teaches us. And if they call us fundamentalists, if they call us stupid idiots, if they call us whatever they want to call us, bigots and so on, we receive the persecution if it's necessary. But don't go out of your way to be a bigot and to be narrow-minded and so on, okay? Go out of your way to be loving and gentle and kind and Christ-like to people around you. But stick by the Word of God. And eventually, people will listen and they'll respect you and they'll see the truth that has borne forth fruit in your lives, that you live a life that is freer, more fulfilling, more full because of Jesus and the eternal life that is given to us through His Word and by the Spirit of God. Remember, it's by the Holy Spirit that we become this kind of person. It is not by self-effort. So as I close, let me just share with you something I promised my wife I would share this morning. I didn't promise her. I asked her for permission to share. She said, okay. So if I don't share, she'll say, yeah, you took too long. You didn't give the example. <laughs> so, so here I am. <laughs> Honey, I remember... I'm trying to cherish you <laughs> and honor you in front of the congregation and in front of the online people who are watching. <laughs> Remember, this is not about perfection. I'm not perfect. But blameless simply means good reputation publicly. Okay? So not violent, not given to anger all the time. You know? But all of us have a temper. This last week, my wife and I, you know, as usual, we do different things here and there. Usually things go pretty well, pretty smoothly. And yesterday, we went to uh, Costco to do some shopping. And so far, so good. And we started talking about certain things, you know, here and there. And then it started getting me riled up. She was frustrated. She was stressed out by work and some other stuff. And then she mentioned a few things and then the complaining. And then I said, look, this affects me too. And I raised my voice. You should speak up and ask for what you need, you know. <laughs> And then she says, stop shouting. And when your wife says, stop shouting, you get even more upset. Why you tell me to stop shouting? I'm not shouting. Yes, you are. <laughs> you are shouting at me for shouting. 
You know how it goes, those of you who are married. And even you're not married, with friends you do that sometimes, right? Family members. So do I lose my cool sometimes? Do I lose my temper sometimes? Yes. So I cannot be a pastor now? I cannot be a church leader? No. You lose it sometimes. Once in a while. Not all the time. If 24-7 you're shouting and, 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 and losing your temper all the time, then no. You shouldn't be serving as a church leader. So it's not perfection, my friends. So how do I deal with this? When I know this is the sinful part of me, okay? When I get upset, when I'm reacting. It's from the flesh, it's from the sinful nature, it's not in the spirit. The Holy Spirit will convict me, which He often does. And then, if I'm obedient to Him, I'll listen. And usually I say, okay, I don't want to talk anymore, let's stop here. Then when we get home, I go to my room, I close the door, I pray. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. Fill me, Holy Spirit, with your presence. Empower me to be gentle and loving, to cherish my wife. No matter who's right, who's wrong, doesn't matter. Help me to be like Jesus. I need you, Lord. I cannot do it on my own. This is called surrender. And when you pray like that, the Spirit of God comes in and empowers you and gives you special grace and strength you do not have on your own. And you make up and you love your wife again or your husband or your friend or whoever. You with me? Hmm? So we will fail from time to time, my friends. We will fall from time to time. Hopefully, it's just periodically, not all the time. If all the time there's something not right, we need some help, some pastoral care and counselling, we need to seek some help for some unresolved issues, maybe from our past and so on, that we need to deal with. But from time to time, we all sin, we all fall. That's not what Paul is talking about here, not perfection. But surrender to the Holy Spirit so that you become godly leaders. The best elders, the best pastors, the best church leaders are those who are godly and good people. And to be godly and good, we need the power of the Spirit to help you and the Word of God to guide you and the community and fellowship of one another to support you and the prayers of one another to protect you. So my friends, this Word is not just for elders and church leaders. This Word is for every one of you. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us again that character is much more important than credentials and chemistry. Forgive us that we follow so much the ways of the world so often, even in, our, in the churches. May we not be like that. May first evangelical church always be evangelical and word-centered. May we come to you and surrender to your word because your word is the best, your truth will last forever. Everything else will perish. Help us not to be foolish. There is a God. There is absolute truth. And we come to you and bow before you and ask in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit and your grace, you will help each one of us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus in these ways, that we will be godly and good people of Christ-like character. And when you call us to serve you as leaders, we'll be ready. Every day of our lives, you're molding us pruning us, preparing us, making us more and more like Jesus so that we can serve you in these ways. Thank you, Lord. Bless this church. Bless the future of this church, this 56th anniversary. We say hallelujah. Praise the Lord for your faithfulness and your goodness to us all these years. You will continue to be faithful. and Give us grace and the strength of the Spirit to be faithful to you too and to one another. So we thank you. We pray all these things, asking that you bless us now as we go. Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to pronounce a benediction. 
After which, please go to the back if you need some prayer ministry. And those of you who are exiting, come through the front here, okay? And we'll have some quiet for that. Please rise for the benediction. I mean, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Father, and the fellowship and power and presence of the Holy Spirit be with each one of you now and forevermore as you go forth from this place, growing the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. for a time of quiet reflection. This has been the Sunday morning service here at First Evangelical Church Glendale in Glendale, California. If this message has been a blessing to you, then we invite you to tune in again next week for another spirit-filled sermon by our pastors. Now that the governor of California has eased some of the restrictions regarding public gatherings during the pandemic, we are now pleased to invite you and your family to come and worship with us here at FECG. Sunday morning service times are 9.30 a.m. for the English service and 11.30 a.m. for the Cantonese and Mandarin service. Advanced registration is required, so just go to our website, www.fecg.org, for more information. Until next time, thanks for listening, and may the Lord continue to bless you. <laughs>